0: In some ways, this past year has been like some kind of messed up reality TV show. What happens if we take parents who normally work in an office or other locations and we put them at home And then we also do the same thing with their kids. Let's take their kids out of daycare and schools. Let's also put them at home where they have to do all the things they normally do, except now everybody's in the same house. Let's see how well everybody can meet everybody else's needs. Let's see how well those adults working can meet the needs of their clients and their customers and their bosses. Let's see how well they can meet the needs of their children. And let's see how well the children can meet the needs of the other people that live in the house. It's been hard. It's been a long year. Many of us are still in it. But one thing that I've tried to do, the one thing that's actually kept me sane, honestly, is that I look for the beauty in these moments. This is a time that I will look back on with some warmth, honestly, because I got to see my child every single day for hours and hours and hours. Whereas before I would work, I'd come home, I'd pick him up from daycare, I'd get to see him for a couple hours before bedtime. But there was a lot of growth, a lot of little moments that I would miss in the day that I wouldn't get to uh, otherwise experience. If I have future children down the road, I don't think we're going to have this type of experience, this type of bonding ever again. It really, in some ways, was a gift. Another thing I've tried to do is connect deeply to other parents who have tried to find beauty in these moments, during these pandemic parenting moments. And the only way to really do that is by keeping in touch via text and Zoom and all that stuff, but also to follow people on social media, especially Instagram stories. It's a place that I love to see what other families are doing to find these, this beauty in these moments. And the first person that comes to mind when I think of finding beauty in the moment is my friend Michaela Moda. I work with Michaela. We're both education consultants. But she lives in Brooklyn and I'm here in Silver Spring, so we haven't seen each other in person in a long time. But I followed her on social media and have been inspired by the way that she connects with the people in her family, by the way that she's managed to be an amazing consultant and also an amazing mother in this really, really unusual time. So here is me and my co-host, Michaela Moda, talking about the gifts of being a pandemic parent. Enjoy. This is Zia Hassan, and you are listening to Gently Down the Stream, a personal development podcast. If you want to transform your life, be a more engaged parent, a more present spouse, if you are stuck in your career or in any part of your life, this show will teach you powerful ideas, habits, and skills so that you can focus on what's most important to you.
1: So my name is Michaela Moda. I am a mom. I have two sons and I have a stepson and I have a baby on the way. So I'm soon to be a mother of four. Um, My stepson is an adult. He's 23. So it's a a bit different of a relationship. And then uh, my two other sons are younger. I have a six-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. So, I have different relationships kind of on both sides. And I think, you know, being a step parent is a different relationship in and of itself as well. Um, I live in Brooklyn, New York with my husband. I've lived here since 2001. Um, so, almost 20 years, which is insane. Um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, that's where I grew up. And I moved to Brooklyn to go to college went to Pratt Institute, and I pretty much never left the neighborhood.
0: What was what was the big shift for you when you had a newborn? You'd already had experience as a parent, and now you have this little tiny baby. What was that experience like for you?
1: It was, for me, it, I I was never one of those like little girls that always wanted to be a mom. I was not, I don't want to say indifferent to it, but it was something I thought about, but it wasn't something that was you know very ingrained in me that I felt you know this really big calling to be a mother and then when I met my husband my stepson at the time was 4 so he was he was still a little kid but he wasn't you know a baby and that relationship was very different and I was also very young um I was only 19 and very not not quite ready to take on a parental role that came kind of later and um my husband and his ex shared custody so my stepson was here every other weekend and I was kind of just like yeah let's play hot wheels like that's how, that's how we're going to start this um and it did kind of evolve so then all of a sudden when I turned 30 I was just like maybe we should have a kid like maybe that maybe that's something I want to do and we you know talked about it and then I got pregnant with Silas and it was it was very different it was just completely um a shift in my entire lifestyle. I was very, you know, I'd lived in New York by that time for 12 years, just going out a lot and partying a lot and doing whatever I wanted to do. So that shift was really big for me. And then having having a newborn was also such a shift. They, It sounds so cliche, what they say. It's, you know, a different kind of love and it is very fulfilling and all of that. But a lot of that is really true. And Silas, my oldest son, he just he's very he's very calming and he's very wise and he's very sensitive. and he's been that same person from a baby on. And him and I just have this very, almost spiritual relationship. Like we just kind of, he's very much like his dad in temperament and personality, but him and I just connect like, and that was immediate. That was just sort of immediate. And so I think just in terms of it changing me, it it was more for me, just a lifestyle shift, but the, the maternalness and the loving and the just wanting to, to kind of help him throughout his life and 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 help him become you know even better of a person than he already started out as, just felt really natural for me.
0: It's funny because my I teach a course as you know uh, on human growth and development, and the part of the course that my students are on right now is all about social and emotional development in uh, prenatal to infants and toddlers. And how their your personality is shaped by both your temperament and all the events that happen to you in your life. So you actually do come out of the womb with some kind of temperament, and you know that's this is why I don't. You ever heard of the book uh, "The Baby Whisperer: Secrets of the Baby Whisperer"? It's Tracy Hogg. I, I, I'd heard a friend of mine had a baby before I did, and uh, I said, "Oh, it's so sweet! You have this lovely child." He said. Dude, she's a grumpy baby, and I was like, well, "That's kind of mean." He's like, "No, no, I mean that's her temperament. Like, th- there's a there are these different temperaments. There's like the angel baby that like never like wakes up and plays in the crib, and and then there's the the, the next level down. Like, there's the sensitive baby, which I'm pretty sure that was me. <laughs> that's at least my temperament now, still. But I don't really know as a kid. My parents never shared with me if I was super sensitive or not. But um, but it's just it's interesting how like those core things. Like, it doesn't mean that if you have a child who's super I don't know, like super sensitive that they're going to grow up to be like someone whose feelings are hurt all the time. Um, or if you have a child that's like super grumpy all the time, that they're going to grow up to be like negative or something like that, it could mean that they are stubborn in, in good ways, that they're like steadfast. Um, so that's really interesting. And you said you had like this spiritual connection, um, which was uh, almost immediate. Um, did you feel that way? So, what, what was it like then having a second child? How was that experience?
1: That Well, the second child, we there's quite a bit of a gap in between them. They're five years apart. So it had just kind of been us for a long time. And then I wanted to have a second child when Silas turned two, and I had a few miscarriages and it was very difficult and getting pregnant was very difficult. So when I did get pregnant with Gael, I had a very just kind of nervous and anxious pregnancy, which I think just kind of affected, um, I just was nervous the whole time, essentially. And so then when he was born, it was still that kind of just immediate love and just sort of gratefulness for him coming into the world. But he is, when you talk about temperament, he is very different than Silas. He is, he's like a feisty baby. He's like a little firecracker where Silas was just Silas is very even tempered. He, I mean, he has his moments. He's a six-year-old boy, but he's very even tempered. He's he's logical in ways that I am not as a 38-year-old adult. And Gael's more like me in that sense, where he's, he's just, he's feisty. He's different. He's he's not one to just sit and quietly play in his crib. He wakes up and immediately is like, Mama, mama. Come get me. And then it's just, and then you get him up and he's like, Oh, I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to jump off the couch onto my head. And then I'm going to go try to climb. We have like a little bench in front of a window. He's like, I think I'll climb up there. Like he's just, he's a rough and tumble, um, baby, which I, you know, you know, theoretically, you know, all of your children are going to be different and you know, you're going to love all of your children. If you enjoy being a parent, but it did really take me by surprise because Silas was just I mean, like I said, we had our moments, but he was just very easy and Gael's a little he's a little trickier to to kind of manage and to kind of for me to understand as much. Like what like why are you jumping off the couch onto your head? Like what what's going on
0: there? Yeah, trying trying um, to understand children. I always tell my students that. There, there is st- no matter how much we study child development and how much we really understand about someone's development, they're still a complete mystery. People yeah. are still a complete mystery. Children are still a complete mystery. We'll probably never know why <laughs> why Gaël decide decides to jump off of things and Silas <laughs> didn't. I, I, um, I remember that when I when my son was born, I remember thinking to myself, it'd be nice if he came with an instruction manual. Um, yeah, and. And I thought to myself, I was thinking about my own, like, maybe I could provide an instruction manual for me. I mean, parents don't come with instruction manuals either, but we're a little bit more articulate about, and we've developed our understanding of our needs a little bit more. So I thought about like, what can I leave him that might give him some, some ideas of how my brain works. But really in the end, I think it's less important for him to understand my brain and more important for me to understand his (laughs) brain. So that's never going to happen uh, perfectly. Uh, So, um. Yeah. That, that, that's really interesting. I know you have sisters or brothers. I, you have siblings. I, right? do.
1: I have, I have an older sister and a younger brother.
0: Um, mm. and so we are in the all, middle.
1: I'm yeah, I'm in the middle, but we're all very far apart in age. Mm. My sister's five years older and my brother's 10 years younger. Wow. So we're very, um, very far apart.
0: I wonder if, because you mentioned that that Gael is kind of like you, your, your temperament and personality. And I know there's something to this second child thing.
1: (laughs) We joke too. Now that I am expecting again, I was like, he was kind of born a middle child. We just didn't know that yet because we didn't know we had, you know, had not really had, we weren't kind of, you know, opposed to having another child, but it wasn't something that we were, you know, really necessary, necessarily planning on. Um, But like I said, I think he was born to to be the middle child. Um, But he's so fun. He's very, he's very rough and tumble, but he also is like just the sweetest guy in the world. He'll just, he'll jump off the couch, like I said, and then he'll come over and like give me the biggest hug and say kissy and give me the biggest, sloppiest kiss before he runs to go jump off something else.
0: Even before March of 2020, when kind of the world completely changed, Um, Yeah. You had already done a lot. I mean, it seemed like you had a pretty structured routine for your kids. You know, you they they I guess Silas was going to school at the time. Gael had just been born, right? I mean, I mean it was only a few months ago or a few months before the pandemic started, right?
1: Yeah, he was born in October. So in March he was he was about five months old when as you say everything Changed and shifted. And yeah, Silas was in kindergarten. Yeah. So yeah, we did. We had a structure. Silas went to school every day. I had been on maternity leave till about mid January. And then I had gone back to work um and really only worked pretty much February before everything kind of changed again. And really,
0: was, only you can't. Yeah, that's right. You can't because we had a meetup in January in Seattle, and you didn't come, and then you yeah, started no, again February, and then this happened, <laughs> and
1: then I know. So he, Gael was really my mother in law was babysitting, um, but as you know, with our jobs, as Zia said from the uh, beginning, know each other from work, and so I would have trainings at school, so I. It's not like a full, you know, nine to five, be gone all day job. So my mother-in-law was babysitting Gael while I would go do trainings at schools and Silas was in school. So it was, we did have a very kind of structured routine and then, yeah, everything kind of changed.
0: That's, that's the, the interesting part about all of this is like all of us, you know, myself included. I don't want to say everybody, but at least the folks that I know had a pretty steady routine going. And in fact, I remember that anytime someone would ask me pre-March of 2020 and post Desi being born, really post me working at my current job being a a learning consultant, um, because I I love the schedule. I love the freedom. I loved traveling. uh, But if anyone had asked me, how are you doing? My response was always, I'm better than I've ever been. And they would look yeah. at me and go, really? And I'd say, yeah, I'm better than I've ever been. I am at peak me right now. Things yeah. are going so well. And I would always jokingly follow that with just waiting for the other shoe to fall yeah, exactly. <laughs> and fall. It did.
1: <laughs> well, that's kind of how I felt too, because going from one kid to two kids is a big transition um, to little kids. And and just kind of general anxiety about going back to work. And my mother-in-law was watching Gael. And she was also, I have a nephew who's a month older than than Gael. So she was watching both of them. So she had two babies, which is a lot for anybody. So we were kind of nervous. You know, I didn't want her to be overwhelmed. So it was like, I was just kind of nervous in the sense of being like, if this is too much, you need to tell me and I will find another sitter. But you know, they're her grandbabies and she also really wanted to watch them. And and I love that. I love that she's a big part of their life. But after kind of doing it for about a month, it was working really well. So I felt really similarly too. I was like, you know, we have, we have two little kids. We got this under control. We do the school run. I take Gael to grandmas to be babysat. I go to work. I come back. I pick them up. We have dinner. You know, like it felt like we just kind of had gone to this moment of like, we, we're getting it. We're getting into our rhythm of going back to work and having two little ones. And then, and yeah, it, in March, it just was like, oh, oh, never mind. Right, like and, everything- of cu- and of
0: course, like, everything will change all the time. Things will change all the yeah. time. It just felt like there was this illusion of certainty that then was completely just kind of falsified by everything that occurred after that. And when you think about it now, it's like you had basically an infant and yeah. you had a child that was about to, that was in kindergarten. was going into kindergarten, not even in kindergarten yet.
1: No, right? he was in kindergarten. He was in kindergarten. He was like halfway through his kindergarten year.
0: Right. He started in person. He started in person in the fall of 2019. And then, yes. and then he and, he, and so how, so first let's talk about how, how was his first few months, just before pandemic as a new kindergartner? What was that transition like for him, if you don't mind uh, sharing?
1: Yeah he was he went to a new school so he went to pre-k new york has a universal pre-k program for four-year-olds and that was his first experience with schools the year before and he went to a pre-k center which was almost more like a daycare um and so kindergarten was a brand new school there was one kid that went to the same pre-k center but other than that it was all new kids So it was, it was a transition. He, he was very, he was very brave and he really liked school, but it was, it was hard for him. He, you know, the first few, few, first few weeks, really, there were tears every day and it was difficult. And then, and then he just started, you know, getting to know kids and playing and, and really, you know, just doing really well. Um, and he's, he's a really smart kid. So in terms of like education wise, his reading, you know, his kindergarten teacher was wonderful. They were doing sight words and he was starting to to kind of recognize that they weren't there wasn't as much math as there is this year. But I think, you know, he he ended up doing really well and really liking school and making friends. And then he also was going to there was an after school program at his elementary school that he was going to and he would see kids in other classes. So that socially was really good for him too. Um so he was, I mean, he was kind of really thriving. It was, it was a process for him at being a new school and, and being five and and pre-K and kindergarten are a lot different. Um, in pre-K, just little things—they eat lunch in the classroom. The bathroom is in the classroom. They take an afternoon nap. Mm. And then mm-hmm. kindergarten—you, you, you know—you go to the bathroom down the hall. You eat lunch in the cafeteria. You don't take a nap. Um, which he was—I mean, he was five. He was fine with not taking a nap. But it's just kind of—it's a different structure. You're like a big kid.
0: Yeah. So yeah. that then, was definitely de- a transition. And- and then then of course the biggest transition of all when you know I, who was it when did he first hear about this is going to happen where you are no longer coming to this this whole routine that you were used to that you thought was going to just keep going and going is now completely disrupted and interrupted did, did you have explain that to him was it a teacher both of you like how did how did he process that
1: well he kind of knew like he knew things were happening he knew there was a virus he knew that there are a lot of questions just we had talked to him about that just in general because he he had heard stuff you know he kids are always listening and he had had a lot of questions um and then i started working from home full time and then we got kind of the announcement that schools were shutting down and at that point it was we didn't know if they were shutting down you know, the rest of the year or for a couple of weeks or what was going on. Um, but just kind of in general, he, he took it really well at that time, what his school did, his teacher just, she set up a Google classroom and she put assignments in it, but they didn't have, you know, remote learning. They didn't have actual classes that were happening. That was like a structured environment. So what was kind of challenging for us? It was just all this kind of work coming in that at the time sort of just felt like busy work. Giving what given what was also going on in the world and all of our questions, but we started to really see the value in maintaining that sense of normalcy for him. Like, oh, we have to we have to do your reading. Oh, you have this um, project, and and his his teacher did. She did some really great larger projects. They did a Frida Kahlo project where he built a shadow box and he worked on that with his dad. And it was more just, I think, keeping, keeping that for us and for him was what was what was most important. We didn't focus as much on, you know, he's gonna fall behind in reading or he's gonna fall behind in math. It was just sort of like, Miss Chantier sent this beautiful project on Frida Kahlo. Like, let's do this this afternoon. And I think that was really important for him, keeping that sense of normalcy. Um, he did. I mean, it was it was a big change. And I was also working at that time. I was working a lot and my husband was home. So my husband was kind of handling all of school um, and he was doing what was kind of a struggle is a lot of people just in our in our school and social um. Socially wanted to do a lot of like FaceTimes with him. And he just did not like that at all. Like he did not want to FaceTime with a friend from school and quote unquote play. Like that was just not something he wanted to do. So I for a while was really worried about that just for his kind of social well-being. And then I just started to be like, he's going to be fine. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to push him. To Facetime with a friend from school if he doesn't want to do that, right? I think for all of us, we had I had to just also I think take a step back and quit, kind of quit reading about what you should be doing with your kid during that time and just listen to my own kid. And my own kid didn't want to do that, and I was like, "No, that's okay. That we don't Facetime your friend if you don't want to."
0: And that and that's the thing. That's the thing that I think many parents have figured out during this pandemic, which is that there there was a lot of advice at at first, you know if you've made it through the day and you get you know threw a pack of goldfish at your kid, like that's all you need you you can you can feel like you at least did something that day, and that's totally fine and that might be true in some cases, but in other cases, like there kids have a lot more needs, and you know just just getting through the day may not be enough for them, and it's not to say we should torture ourselves as parents to make sure they get everything they need, but another thing that has come up is that like. I was talking to my wife about this and I was thinking, you know, do you think that this time, because my child is two and a half and, and started the pandemic at one and a half, like, do you think this time is going to affect him socially as he gets older? Like, is he going to be afraid to do new things? Is he going to um, be resistant to new people? Is he going to be afraid to travel? And it's kind of like, maybe, maybe that will happen as a result of this. Who knows? He might, he probably won't remember this time, but I, I do think that there are neurons that are being connected right now and, and, wiring and firing together. Um, but then I also realized, had this not occurred, had this pandemic not happened, that something else would have affected the way he is something else would have given him particular challenges that, um, I wouldn't be able to solve. And it just comes back to this thing that I guess we have to keep accepting as parents, which is that our children will struggle they're just going to struggle. And we kind of have to just be like, you know, do the best we can to help them with their struggles, but we're not going to be able to pull them out of it in the same way that our parents weren't able to pull us out of our struggles.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, you do have to recognize in your kids too, things that you see that are going to cause them to struggle more and kind of recognize who they are, And like for me, like Silas now in first grade, he's on he's on four Zooms a day and he's gotten he has one at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, noon and two. And he has to be on camera and present in class. And that was really hard for him Um, because, as I said, he really did not like the FaceTimes. Hold on a second. I got to he wants a dino truck.
0: I, I, I saw your tweet recently about the fruit loops. <laughs> I laughed at that because I could just imagine I don't know what, what 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 was it? You gave him a fruit loop and he walked around saying He something.
1: said he says Andy when he's hungry now. <laughs> so then now he says Andy, fruit fruit, Andy. And I'm like, We have to eat, you can't just be hungry for Fruit Loops. And I'm like that I should have known better. It's a little
0: bit alarming that they call it fruit loops when there is there it has nothing to do with fruit <laughs> at all. <laughs> Not at all. It has to do uh, with chemicals in a lab or something.
1: Yeah, I know. I knew giving him that I was like, "Oh, I'm opening I'm opening a door for him that I probably shouldn't, but I he's okay. fine. He'll be fine."
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? We I we've avoided giving Desi sugar, uh, like real processed sugar. You know, obviously fruit we've given yeah. him and that sort of thing. Um only because, I mean, we know he's going to eat sugar. We eat sugar. We're not like, you know, avoidant of yeah. sugar. Uh, it's just that once you, yeah, once you open that door, it's kind of scary to think because sugar can be very addicting. And yeah. I certainly, like in my 20s, had issues with like, I used to eat like a pack of gobstoppers in my 20s, which resulted in like, you know, tons of root canals and cavities later on in my life. But that's yeah. a whole other lesson. Um, so it's you true. had you had Silas now who's getting adjusted to this sort of like new social norm. Um, what, what ended up working for him socially?
1: Well, I think we kind of, as I said, we, I cut out making him FaceTime other like family members and kids where I had to just kind of tell some of the parents that were asking us a lot that Silas just really isn't into it. And it's not that he, you know, and other parents totally understood. Everyone was kind of struggling and some kids that gave them a lot of, um, relief for anxiety because it was very different to be home all the time um so i think for him i had to just recognize that that wasn't something that that relief that made him feel good it just it caused him more anxiety so i think recognizing that first of all and then but then when he started first grade as i said those are zoom calls so it is kind of like a FaceTime, but in a structured environment and that was really hard for him and for a day is a lot um, But he's really adapted to it. He, I, and for me, kind of selfishly as a parent, I've got to be a fly on the wall his entire first grade and like listen to him when he raises his hand and when he shares and when he talks about, like, they'll ask, you know, how did, what did you do in your head to solve this math problem? And then I get to hear him, you know, share the steps he took in his head in a way that I would never hear if he was at school. So that's that's beautiful, the, yeah, so that's been really that's been really great. And he did he's just kind of gotten better at it. Some days are a struggle. And some days his two o'clock class is usually pretty short. It's thirty minutes. They usually watch a video on Go Noodle. Now if you're familiar with the Go noodle. Oh, I'm
0: familiar <laughs> with the go noodle. I taught I taught um, third grade.
1: <laughs> and they talk and they just kind of talk about their day. So some days it's just too much and we we don't need to go to that two o'clock class and his teacher is fine with that and I just let her know. Um, And I think just sort of, you know, picking what's going to work best for him with the least amount of anxiety is the way to do it. And the same can be said, he's also given a lot of different work to then do at home. But if we were to do every single thing, he'd be on Zooms four hours a day and we'd be doing work four hours a day. That doesn't work. I'm sorry. Cool. Yeah, on. yeah, no worries. Like I'm in the, kind of my office slash playroom, and there's a table like right in front of the door, and these can see things on it, so I want to grab them.
0: It's He's funny okay. that your office is also your playroom. I I've been oh thinking lately about the uh, the idea of play. Somebody asked me uh, in a coaching session because as a coach, I also have a coach. I think all coaches yeah. need one because then you know if you don't see the value in coaching, how can you really sell or offer it? But right. in a coaching session recently, someone asked me if if there was one word you could use to sum up this time you've had with your child, what would it be? And Because I was talking to this coach about how it's going to be hard for me to let go of this time. As hard as it's been, as stressful as it's been, it's going to be hard to let go and say, okay, I'm not going to see you for most of the day. Like what you were just saying about hearing Silas break down his, his reactions to story problems. Like that's the sort of thing that we don't get to see as parents that we would love to see that that minute to minute experience that this pandemic has given some of us that is just incredible. So the word that I used to describe it is play because it, it made me realize like everything Desi does is play oriented. Ever, even eating in some ways is play-oriented for him. Even sleeping for some ways is play-oriented for him. And so I, what I want to take from that is how can I approach my life from a, in a play-oriented way? How can I approach my work in a play-oriented way? It, certainly that's not always possible when you have to like write a report at the end of the month. Well, maybe it is. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm limiting myself by saying that I can't look at that in a playful way, um, but it, it, takes, it takes the eyes of a child sometimes. And I almost want to ask Silas this question, and I know he's probably not there, but, but I'll ask you instead. If you, just if you could put yourself in his mind, what advice do you think he would give himself a year ago going into this?
1: Well, that's such a good question. I got to think about that.
0: Well, take your time. <laughs>
1: I think for him I think a lot like I said he's he's generally kind of a quiet more reserved kid until you get to know him and then he really opens up a lot more and I think for him the some of the challenges in this time has been opening up in a not person in person way doing school this way and still needing to to kind of to learn and to be, um, to be proactive in, in asking questions. So I think if he were to, to, to kind of talk to himself, I think he maybe would just tell himself to, to be a little bit more proactive and kind of asking those questions and to just be, I guess, not so hard on himself and to, and to just kind of speak up more if he doesn't like certain things. Because we did really struggle, like I said at the beginning, with me being like, well, don't you want to play with so-and-so? You guys are going to play, but it's going to be on a computer. And he just would do it until I kind of recognized it was not great for him. So I think for him, just kind of telling us what works and what doesn't work is good. And I I think he's kind of learned how to do that, where now he he will tell me if he does feel, you know, the two o'clock class, I think is, it's too much. I'd rather just sit here and build some Legos and, you know, and he does it in a way where he doesn't do it every single day. So I know it's not just him being like, yeah, that two o'clock class too much, you know? So I know he really kind of thinks about that. So I think he has learned just kind of to set his own boundaries with it now too. That's a Um, powerful
0: thing to learn, you know? Yeah. And, and a very, um, a very direct way, a very direct path to learn that uh, by having this happen. Now, you at the time also had an infant, a newborn. I think mm-hmm. he may have been out of the newborn phase by that time that it started, right? It was Rami just right yeah, out of the he, newborn phase. He was but, five
1: months old.
0: Yeah. So he probably didn't care too much about the <laughs> pandemic happening. He probably loved the fact that he didn't have to go uh, spend time in other places as much. Um, yeah. But but for you as a mom, what was that transition like?
1: That was difficult because in our line of work, working with educators at the beginning of this pandemic, with the accounts that I work with, it was very demanding to keep up with trainings and help, help teachers transition. And it was really important for me. And I really wanted to be able to help. Um, but then also, you know, being home, With a five-year-old and a newborn, it was really challenging. I was still nursing at the time. Um, The first few weeks, my husband was still at work before his office shut down. So I was, my stepson, like, stepped up and was a huge help those first few weeks. And then my husband was home, and we just kind of had to juggle it. But it was really hard for me. I felt... I felt a lot more of that just parental guilt for being on my computer and doing stuff when I knew he needed things for me because it's it's so different when you're in the same space all the time when they're that little because you can you know I can hear him needing me in the next room and then I'm in here on my computer you know, and at the beginning, it was the beginning. I also could learn from Silas because I was very bad at setting boundaries in terms of still having a work, um, home balance because every, it was all in one place. And I had a really hard time being like, no, I, I can't do six trainings a day. Like I just can't do it. So that, that was really challenging for me. Um, and to just then when I wasn't on training to want to be playful and to be present with my kids. Cause I was so just generally exhausted and, and anxious and, you know, everything, everything was scary. So that was really hard. I had a hard time. And just with him too, just, we were, we'd go for walks. We weren't, Ken say at the beginning was he was the one, my husband was going to the grocery store doing kind of all of that stuff but even just going outside with a baby that little that can't wear a mask when masks were still so new. And it was like, there was still so many questions. Are we going to be wearing these forever? What is this? But then I have this like little baby and he can't wear one, but if I bring him to the park, am I just exposing my baby to this and that? So it was very, it was just hard to kind of know what to,
0: to really do. Yeah, Um, And also like the, you talked about setting boundaries, um, and also the guilt, the parent guilt. And I think of those as like, when I, if I were to picture like a, a field and building these little compartments of these little boundaries in that field, a lot of times when we set boundaries, it's to prevent things that we don't want to have to engage with. Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you set a boundary with say, uh, someone in your family, because there are certain things that you don't want to engage with when it comes to them. But these boundaries are just to stay sane, right? It's not as if you don't want to play with your kids all the time. It's not as if you don't want to be great at your job. It's like in order to make sure that you are balanced, you have to set these boundaries in ways that before may not have seemed as pressing, but now everything depends on them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What do you think the biggest takeaway you had from that experience was?
1: I think just knowing just recognizing that the way I was doing it wasn't working and and speaking up about it and just just listening to my intuition with it, with, yes, I do want to be good at my job. And I do want to help teachers get through this. Cause I do feel that responsibility, but I also have these two little boys here who also need a lot of me. Um, one, because he recognizes that everything is, is different and crazy. And the other one, cause he's just so little and does need me all the time. And so I think just, you know, kind of my big takeaway was setting those boundaries and not really looking back and and not feeling guilty about it, just being like, "This is what I can do and that's yeah. it you, you have know? I
0: mean it's like you have constraints all the time. we've always had constraints, and yeah. this is the year where we've it, it's become so much clearer like where the constraints have become so much tighter and so much more i guess tangible that It almost forces you to take a meta view and look back and say, like, who is the person I want to be? It's almost like I I describe it as it's like I'm I'm standing in the ocean, like Mm. floating in the ocean, and there are all these weights being added to me. And as long as I stay like above neck level or so, uh, you know, I'm okay. I might be stressed. I might be a little bit like, uh, what's going on? But at the same time, my head's above water. I can breathe. The minute that it starts getting a little bit too high for comfort, it's almost like every single aspect of my life suffers. So if yeah. I take on too much at work, for instance, then i be- I become uh, not as great of a parent. In fact, yeah. not even as functional of a parent. Uh, I become not as good at at being a life coach, which, uh, uh, or I don't. I'm not as good of a of a son or a brother, um, and so it's like. I want to make sure I'm still an, I'm still doing well at those other things, so yeah. I can't overburden myself in one area. Whereas before, when when there were less constraints, it was easier to ignore that problem.
1: No, I, I absolutely I think it was, and I think too, just you know, within the nature of our our jobs, I did I did some things virtually and like meetings or like planning calls. None of hardly any of that was in person. But when you did move it all to virtual, that was something I really struggled with because like you said, it was like everything just at once and kind of recognizing that. Whereas before, if, if I booked myself for so many trainings a day, yeah, it would have been a stressful day getting from A to B to C to pick up and it, doing kind of all those other things. But when you're all just in one place, it's very different to recognize that because you are like yeah, I am free from nine to five or whatever time you say you're free from. But are you? Because you also do have the parenting and you have to, you know, do make sure you're there for them and being supportive with them as well. And I think for me, that was a really that was a really big lesson. And and now to kind of know what those limits are. Like I last week, I had a woman want me to do a training from eight to nine a.m., And 8 to 9 a.m. is when I make the boys breakfast. Silas gets ready. His first class is at 9. And at 9, I I get Gael ready to take a nap. So, I mean, I could have, and it would have been really hard. I could have tried to, like, keep them busy that hour and done a training. But I know that's also our time where we have our breakfast together. And we talk about the day and to get dressed and we brush our teeth together, all three of us in the bathroom. And, and I was like, no, I can't do it then. Like, I can't, I don't want that stress even one time because that's. It makes
0: me think about the time that before, before there were meetings and zooms and all these things, like, yeah. you know, a, a lot of, a lot of family time and work time, I feel like was mixed. Uh, yeah in in similar ways to how it is right now in this particular moment. And that's exactly it. Like you have to protect those moments where you are connecting with other humans, especially in a time where it's really hard to connect with other humans. I mean, we do yeah. it pretty efficiently on the internet, but it's not the same, you know? No. We feel that. So now looking forward, you're having a baby girl in when? July?
1: July, when yeah.
0: Here? Wow. And yeah. so she's being born at a time a very interesting time in history it's almost like all this crazy stuff happened and then here you are you you know because by then by by most uh predictions we're going to be maybe not back to normal normal but we're going to be at least more normal than we were uh now and it's kind of like how like liza's grandmother died in february of 2020 uh -hmm. and we kind of jokingly talk sometimes about how it's kind of kind of a um it's kind of a blessing that she didn't have to deal with this. She was a very social person. Like if you ever had a dinner party, she'd be up to like two in the morning, and she missed <laughs> all of it. Um, all of it was just didn't have to deal with it. So great. Um, so now you're having this little girl in in July, and she's gonna come out and it's gonna to be like, "Huh, what just happened? So what what do, how do you think this is going to affect this experience? How do you think it's going to affect how you now raise? Your new child?
1: I, well, I think first of all, even without this experience, I think having three kids is going to be really challenging because you are outnumbered, like regardless what's going on in the world. So I'm a little bit nervous about, about being outnumbered in general. Um, but as you said, she's going to be born in such an interesting time because it does, all of a sudden, there is this hopeful feeling that by summer, things will be maybe semi-normal again. But I do know that that parenting and what I have been able to experience with my kids this past year has been really, really important to me. And I do know that when we do go back to a structure where I'm perhaps going out again into the world and and working that way, I still need to kind of keep my my boundaries and and say say no to things that I used to to really do, even having small children and I think that's just going to be that's something that is going to stick with me is how how sacred this that family time is and how much I do want to be there for a lot of it and I want to be able to to take my kids to school. And I mean, I used to get up and leave my house at five 30 in the morning to drive to a training in New Jersey. Like I'm never going to do that again. Like, (laughs) you know, like I'll be like, no, I'm not driving three hours to do that.
0: There's some parts of normal that we don't want to return to.
1: Yeah. So I think, and I, and I think, you know, part of that is I would miss, I would miss breakfast and school drop-off and, that stuff's important to me so i'm i'm going to you know carry that for sure with me just you know that that sense of boundaries in terms of what i what i will and what i won't do um and i think also for her you know like i said it is just going to be a big transition adding to our family but her and gail are going to be so close in age that i actually think that's kind of going to be it'll be stressful but i think it'll also kind of be a benefit uh, of of having them really close in age um to kind of you know make that transition a little bit easier cuz right now we're already in it like we're already in diapers and naps and doing all of that so I think that'll be easier but but yeah I definitely yes. think just carrying carrying the the boundary setting through and also just I feel like I know myself a lot more as a parent now and part of that Part of that is just having gone from one to two kids. I think you get there's a lot of confidence in that um because you're you just do it, and you know it's it happens very naturally it's it's difficult, but you do just do it um so I think having that as well is also just kind of a benefit for having a third is I feel like I really do know myself as a parent I do know I know what I am better at as a parent. And I know what my husband is better at as a parent. And I think we're a really good team and kind of recognizing those things with each other. Yeah. So just kind of, you know, holding on to that as well. And, and just trying to, trying to be there for them as we kind of then go into, you know, maybe another transition where there's a third kid and then maybe Silas goes back to school and that's a whole thing too. So it's, just kind of rolling with those punches, but maintaining those boundaries and maintaining the things that I have learned this year is going to be
0: important yeah. for me. It makes it makes you wonder, like, what had this whole thing not happened? And you know, I'm sure, like, there are other ways you could have learned to set these boundaries, right? Other situations in your life that may have taught these things to you, though, maybe not as, as at much of an accelerated pace as this yeah. has. So that is kind of an upside. So, yeah last thing here before we wrap up cuz we've been talking for a while and i appreciate your time um yeah. so let's let's just fast forward your daughter is 10 let's say uh which would make gael what 11 or 12 and <laughs> it would yeah. make silas 17 <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and it would make your stepson like 31 or something
1: <laughs> right. yeah
0: well he'd be 33
1: well wow. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so let's say Hi,
0: <laughs> yeah maybe right i might a be good a grandma huh. you might be a grandma that's funny to think about um but okay so let's say that she comes to you and she says mom i just in school in history class today we learned that around the time that i was born there was this pandemic and it completely changed Ooh. how everybody operated what was that like what would you tell her
1: I would tell her that it changed everything. I would tell her that it was a very difficult and scary time, but it was also a time where I think for so many people, they did take a step back from from having this very work-focused, busy, busy, busy lifestyle, and were able to take a step back and kind of, just spend time with their families spend time one on one with people and and really recognize how valuable that time is and how how sacred that time is and hopefully as we go back into the quote unquote real world i know that's one of the major things i'm hoping to carry with me and i hope that i hope that that remains true and i hope businesses carry that as well but for me i do think that cuz it was i mean nothing like this has ever happened in our lifetime and living in living in new york city in like april was terrifying like it was it was just it was 24 hour a day sirens and just you ju- there was just was so much death here and it was so scary to be here so the first part of it was so scary but then i think really you know then taking those lessons of of just that kind of busy-to-be busyness and pulling some of that away and finding just simple simple pleasures in things. You know, we went up, because it was so scary in April, we were nervous about taking the kids out, so we started going up to our roof, which we never really did a lot, and we'd bring a blanket up there with the baby, we'd bring some snacks, I, or Kensei and I would have a beer, and just being able to just sit on the roof with our two kids was also something that was you know, why do we never do this? Like, why is this not a thing we ever do? So I think that's really what I would mainly tell her is it was scary and it was absolutely wild, but parts of it were also really beautiful in terms of recognizing just the simple pleasures in family and togetherness. And, and I would tell her, I think I would tell her about Silas and just how like being able to see him in school and just, how great that was for me. I think as a mom, I'm going to start, crying. <laughs> um, cause I think for me, I'm so proud of him. Like he is, you know, I'm, I'm just really proud of how well he has handled this, um, with all the change to him, him being, you know, my, my child that is old enough to, to really kind of recognize what happened. So I think I'd also do some bragging to her about, about one of her big brothers. And Gael, too. I would also say Gael was little and he got through it and and all of that. But it's just for for me, Silas's kind of resilience in this has has really taught me a lot. And just to, you know, roll with he's just rolled with it. He's like, okay, now I'm doing this. (laughs) I'm doing this.
0: Hey there, thanks for sticking around till the end of the podcast. This is Zia Hassan and this is my weekly podcast, Gently Down the Stream. If you don't know me, I am an educator, a trainer, and a coach. And this podcast and my coaching practice are for people who want to change their lives. This podcast is meant for teaching and for learning and for inspiration. But if you want to spend some time with me and focus on you and the wisdom that you have, You can book a coaching session with me at ziahasan.coach. And together we can figure out what your core values are, which is something that most people have not considered, have not actually dug into. Most people don't know what their core values are, or if they think they know them, they are sometimes wrong. We can navigate a dilemma in your life and figure out the next best step for you to take. And through small changes, you can have a big transformation. My podcast is all about what I value and stand for. But when you coach with me, we figure out what you value, what you stand for, what you believe, and what actions are necessary for you to take to live a life that is meaningful to you, to connect to the things that you want to connect with, and say no to everything else. So if you're interested in booking a session with me, check out ziahassan.coach, and I will see you next Tuesday.